Doubt and failure tend to be taboo in Christian environments due to the inherent nature of humanity and its pride. Today, I will talk about this and how doubt and failure are reasons why Christianity is such a strong as well as foundational religion. Furthermore, I will discuss the process of failure and how it actually is an amazing thing, both spiritually and in a secular manner. Lastly, I will debunk and discuss doubt and the crucial role it plays not only in our spiritual lives, but yes, you guessed it, also in the secular. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to The Whitaker Show. This is a show geared towards talking about the many key lessons and takeaways of Christianity with an eye towards apologetics. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in. Look, I was going to discuss doubt first, but I became so impassioned by it that I wanted to save it for last so that it sticks in your head like it's stuck in my head. Failure, though, is something that is not mentioned much in Christian circles. Heck, I've seen examples of believers who do not mention it due to some verse they may have read and they feel it affirms living in sin to acknowledge it, right? But that's wrong. Talking about failure and its role in human life is necessary, and Jesus taught us that we are not to avoid the hard questions and topics in life. How do I know this? Why else would he have placed himself in such daring situations to be asked the questions he was by the Pharisees and so forth, right? Towards this point, I will admit, this will most likely seem more like a sermon than an educational discussion on apologetics, but hey, this show is about Jesus, so if it's about him, then we are blessed by whatever happens, right? That's just kind of how I view it. Now, what is failure and what does it do? I saw an amazing quote and absolutely knew that I needed to put it in the show. This quote is by Vanitha Risner, and it goes like this. You are holding on to meaningless things and you are believing in yourself for the wrong reasons. Stop judging your life by your achievements or blessings, whether material or relational or reputational, because none of them will last. What you now consider blessings will be taken away. And when they are, you will discover that being blessed is deeper and more lasting than you can imagine, she says. Now, what is she saying here? She goes on to show that the taking away of her earthly wealth resulted in her being filled instead with God, which is an excellent outlook to have, right? Now, where do we see failure in the Bible? Well, we can see it immediately in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve eat the fruit and usher sin into the world. Otherwise, Job tells us in verse 14.1 that man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble, he says. This implies that everyone experiences failure, not just believers or non-believers as separate categories. Judges 119 paints a picture of a people blessed by God and who still fail even with God physically there with them. I could go hours probably into the benefits of spiritual failure. An excellent point from that chapter is that God may lead you into failure so that you learn from it. Going through hardship may be bad, you know, like with quotations on it, as per your idea of it, but your muscles go through the same thing when you rip them apart so that they are built up, right? I mean, it may not feel good to go through these kind of things, but that may just be how life is. And in fact, I do believe it is. Now, let me give you some extra insight here. Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 9, 1 through 5, if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town 
as a testimony against them. Now, what does this mean? Jesus is showing us the mindset towards failure, to shake the dust off and keep going. However, Jesus mentioned this in respect to serving him, right? So yes, it's a good mantra or mantra for our lives personally, but we can also infer that living our life by Christ, expectant for his blessings and such, we can see the support that God gives us um, in our spiritual pursuits. You have to understand that pulling closer to God is pulling closer to goodness. Living a life of faith, expectant, as I said before, for his blessings will give you the ability to handle failure and shake the dust off like the disciples were doing while ministering to others um, the good news about Jesus Christ, you know, so much so that they would actually die for it. Now, why does the inclusion of Christ make this all the more pertinent? Let me tell you why. Here is a perfect example of God showing us how failure works. So, David, long story short, decides to take a census of his people instead of counting on God in Chronicles, right? David gets punished, and David decides to repent by building a temple on the threshing floor of a Jebusite, right? And that Jebusite, that Jebusite had a name, but let's focus on the actual act itself. A threshing floor is a place where wheat and grains are sorted out, right? So it's not like a super awesome place. It's not like it's a very like religious place. What is even greater is that the ground upon which that temple was made ended up being God's temple in Jerusalem. The literally, or like the literal holiest place where he would dwell with man. Built on the ground of human failure due to David's asking for forgiveness and repentance. So failure is not only to be expected, right, but celebrated because who knows how God could use it. God used David's failure and David built a temple on a threshing floor. Now, you can definitely make tons of alliteration to a threshing floor and how God sifts out the bad from our lives and then, you know, like, and then shows us the fruit and then all that was actually good in us that he brought out due to his goodness, right? We can definitely see that. And so that's why I think it's a beautiful example in and of itself. Now, let's talk about secular failure. We've all heard that nothing breeds success like failure, right? Which is totally true. I do personally believe that most people accept the fact that failure exists no matter how we may spend our time trying to avoid it, often going to extreme lengths of self-protection in order to avoid failure. I think there's less an issue of accepting the fact that failure exists than there is an issue of us avoiding failure at all costs. And we can really see this avoidance of failure by parents' actions and thoughts towards their children, how they may protect them from failure, going so far to keep them from certain kinds of experience. So in talking about secular failure, I do not mean necessarily that spiritual failure and secular or worldly failure are intrinsically different for most people. However, I do need to note that there really are two types of failure. Dr. William Lane Craig de details this on his website, Reasonable Faith, where there is failure in one's Christian life and failure as a Christian. One involves the Christian's failure spiritually, and the other is just the failure involved in living a human life. Dr. Craig goes on to detail how spiritual failure is far more costly to the Christian, which would make sense because it's spiritual failure. Um, it's your walk with God. It's you failing Him instead of just failing the world, 
right? So um, again, like I would encourage you to go to Reasonable Faith, reasonablefaith.org, and give his articles a look-see. All right, so a Professor Martin Covington out of California performed a study where he found that the fear of failure is directly linked to our sense of self-worth. Now, we can anecdotally back up his study. Have you seen the blustering ability of politicians to completely ignore their negative aspects? It would take an outsized amount of self-worth to be a politician due to the scrutinizing nature of public media on their lives. Therefore, I can see how boosting one's personal image of self-worth could be a critical coping mechanism, right? So I'm not going to hold that against them, but it is a good example of failure being linked to our sense of self-worth. Now, this study concludes that one way that we protect our our self-worth involves our belief in our own competence and how we project that to others. Also, our ability to achieve is intrinsically tied to self-worth. Therefore, when we fail, we associate that with the inability to achieve and therefore we lower our own status in our own minds. Therefore, we may conclude that the lesson here is to inflate our sense of self-worth so that we can endure failure. Wrong. Capital W-R-O-N-G. There are healthy ways to increase one's self-worth. Find a hobby that you are good at and get competitive with it. I know I do, personally. I am an avid video game player, and while I enjoy playing casual games, I have one game that I play that I find myself good at that is a competitive game. In fact, um, I've actually spent money to get coaching on this thing because it is a good outlet for getting my self-worth a nice boost. Now, just like how I could do the same thing in sports, I engage in this game and practice due to how it contributes to my self-worth, like I just mentioned. My success and achievements in the competitive arena of gaming helps me to build upon my self-worth. And you might can find something like for yourself as well, just like this, something that helps you boost your own self-worth, whether it's a game, playing pool, playing cards, you know, doing something like that that's competitive that really gives you that sense of achievement. I also boost my own self-worth through obtaining degrees and taking courses to boost my knowledge, like going online to Coursera, which gives free college courses and using like any resource possible, you know, if your job offers you college benefits, using that to get education. Um, I read one to two books, um, even with even with my busy schedule, about every two weeks, if not more, right? I try to read often, it makes me feel intelligent, and then reading that many books makes me feel like um, I'm doing something right, right? Even more importantly than those things though, I strive to be the best husband I can be for my outrageously gorgeous and superbly amazing wife. Seeing her smile when we come home and hearing I love you gives me a boost in self-image that nothing else secular could possibly do. Why? Because God mandates that I take care of and respect my wife when she tells me that she is happy, looks happy, and sleeps soundly because she is happy. Shoot. Come what may I say. And that's how God designed it. At that point, I'm on cloud nine, right? And men, if you're listening, you should be striving for that feeling too. That's what being a man is, okay? Now, let's close out this topic on failure. So while all of that is great and such, nothing boosts one's self-worth like believing in Jesus Christ, not even the love that I have for my wife. And that sounds like a broad generalization, right? Wrong. Second Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 states, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? He's saying that he is strong in Christ because he is weak in the world, because he knows that, that his connection with God is going to give him everything. Right? So you want a self-image booth? boost? Live for a God, the God, who promotes mental and physical well-being. The God who created the entire world and holds it together where his attentions every second of every day with his attentions. The God who knows every single hair on your head because he cares that much. Now, I just gave you secular psychology in boosting one's self-worth, right? But we can see very clearly that God had already designed all of this in mind towards a life living with him thousands of years ago, right? The belonging one can find in a church community that God mandates, the spirit of giving that Christians inhabit, um, the positive and life-changing message of the word of God manifest in one's life, and so much more are all possible with Christianity, right? I cannot think of a single action that could not boost one's self-image in Christianity and therefore help one deal with failure and embrace it as a major theme in Christianity that involves humility, a like reliance on God, and trudging forth in the face of calamity due to the promise of the good news on the horizon, as well as God living in us as the Holy Spirit, right? Because when you live for Christ in a way that, you know, calls you to like read read the word of God more, to talk about him more, to all these things. These things make you feel good because you're doing it for a amazing purpose. You're doing it for a holy God, right? And also um, seeing the change that you make in the world can be a huge boost to your self-worth, right? Now, before I close this point, which has gone far longer than I thought it would, let me leave this point with this verse from Proverbs 24, 16. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. So now let's move on to doubt. So 15 years later, we got through failure, right? I might have to make an addendum episode just to cover all the things I didn't cover in that section or extend out this one to cover doubt because I'm even more motivated about doubt than failure. However, I think with doubt, we can just hit harder rather than punch for longer. You'll see what I mean. Let me preface this section with some verses. The books of James, Matthew, and Mark are just several who mention the drawbacks of doubt in the Christian walk, telling us what we can achieve if we do not doubt as well. So, doubt means to feel uncertain about, to have uncertainty, to second-guess something. Doubts can be healthy as well as debilitative. What do I mean? Well, if you doubt if you can jump off of a roof, that's a healthy doubt. <laughs> Don't do that. Walk away and go play fetch with your dog or grill some food. Jeez. On the other hand, doubt can cause extreme stress, especially if you doubt yourself. Doubt can be introduced from failure, as we saw that if you are so scared of failure, you can restrict yourself and your image of self-worth by actually like limiting yourself, by like restricting yourself in your actions and then what you think and do. That is caused by doubt. As you are doubting, you can do anything, and therefore you have a psychological re repercussion from the said doubt. Now, doubt, undoubtedly, doubtlessly, is an excellent tool for, for a Christian, right? What do I mean by tool? Glad you asked. I do not mean that it is healthy for a Christian or anyone following any religion to submerse themselves in doubt. I'm not saying that at all. Now, I won't give separate sections to denote 
secular doubt and spiritual doubt, okay? I'll just say this. Doubt can be destructive and also constructive. I've already mentioned the destructive point. Let me tell you the constructive. Your doubts about your abilities on a test could very well lead you to study harder and therefore achieve a result you would not have gotten had you not pressured yourself, right? On the spiritual side, and this is why this topic is so near and dear to me, I live my life in these doubts spiritually. However, I will say, I find myself absolving those doubts and not living by them as doubts can be very dangerous, right? So I do engage in these doubts and it does define my Christian walk, but it's not something that I find myself doing more and more as my faith grows and as my spiritual walk progresses, right? So it's more like a selective doubting, right? This sounds more like what I do. What I mean is apologetics is, in essence, the the ability to discover the doubt research a doubt and disassemble the doubt. Yes, apologetics has other functions, but for me, I'd find meaning in demolishing spiritual doubts. If I ever wonder about what the Trinity means, if we have to get baptized to be saved, and many other things, I find it my duty to research those things. This is what I mean by a healthy spiritual doubt, right? So it has its uses. Um, And this is especially important if you hear a teaching that you are not sure of. If you find that something bothers you in Christianity, question it, research it, find others to corroborate with, okay? Let me give you even more powerful advice. Tell God about your doubt. But Will, why would I tell my doubts to God? Won't he scoff at me, think less of me, or send me trials to fix it? Doesn't he know it all anyways? Well, I'd say half of that is useful, and the other half is just fluff, right? God would never scoff at you. The love that our God has for us is a sacrificial love. God literally died for you so that you could be reconciled to him. So no, he is not sitting up there in heaven face palming. Okay. Though, yes, God does know all things. But what is so cool is, wait for it, he knows all things. So bring your doubts to him and pray over them. Let God answer your questions, right? This is what he does. You can do that in Christianity. You can let the God of the world, your father and best friend know everything that you're feeling and doing, right? He wants, he wants to be involved with you. So involve him. Let me show you some doubters in scripture. Okay. Asaph or Asaph, I don't really know how to say it goes first, right? Asaph was a David appointed musician for the Lord as detailed in first Chronicles. Asaph also composed Psalm 73, right? Long story short, Asaph begins to have doubts and he begins to slip in his walk with God due to seeing the wicked prosper and seeing what he and his go through, like wherever they go. Like they see the prosperity of those that are wicked versus um, the kind of life that he lives, which is a meager life as far as like his possessions and his wealth and that kind of stuff. What Asaph did here is amazing though. Instead of letting the doubts weigh his soul down, Asaph went to the Lord with his doubts and God showed him the results of the lives of those who live wickedly. Asaph was drawn towards God, not away from him due to confronting his struggle and struggling with God, not against him. And then God gave him an excellent bit of wisdom showing that the prosperity of those that are wicked is temporary. So again, it's just amazing to see that through his doubt, his his faith was made strengthened by working with God because God will provide that strength for you. Like I mentioned on the last podcast, um, you have access to the right hand of God. You know, he he is equitable and he is righteous and good and he will support you and hold you up with his strength. He loves you, right? And then some of you may have also heard of Doubting Thomas mentioned in John 
2024. See, Thomas was there for Jesus' death, right? But not for his resurrection. He wasn't there for that. Thomas also traveled with Jesus for three years. I cannot imagine how cool that was, by the right, by the way, to actually be there and see your God and walk with your God and just be, that's just, that's just wild to me. So Thomas had doubts about Jesus coming back. Fortunately, he was willing to confront this by staying with the other disciples and trying to reason through his doubt and unbelief. And then, bam, Jesus comes back again, specifically for Thomas. And instead of face palming in front of him, Jesus simply encourages Thomas to believe. And then Thomas is overwhelmed with joy when he recognizes Jesus. In fact, going so far as to being the first person to mention um, Jesus as Lord. So God came back for Thomas, for him specifically. And he'll do the exact same thing for you too, no matter what your doubt is, okay? So let me give you a small conclusion here. So as you can see, doubt can be a constructive force for good and that it can spur you to new heights in a secular manner as well as to bring you closer to God in a spiritual manner. The key here is that though I have mentioned a secular aspect, this brings even more glory to God through the correlation to the spiritual aspect. God has been teaching us all of these things that I just mentioned for thousands of years and humans are just now grasping these various things. With all that said, however, I hope that you learn to look forward to failure, to embrace your doubt, trust God with your concerns and realize that the Christian God wants your critical thinking. He wants you to believe and also to dwell with you, struggle with you, laugh with you, and to cry with you. Therefore, what have you to lose, honestly? All of these lessons one can find in the Word of God, and yes, it is nice to have a human touch on it to make it a little easier to understand, but just realize that God wants to impart to you the meaning He has for you specifically. Just like His message for Thomas, um, never forget to read these things, right? Don't forget to look these things up for yourself instead of relying on others' interpretations. You never know what wonderful aspect you may find when working with God one-on-one, okay? So again, I hope that you've been blessed by the message of um, failure and doubt and that it really like encourages you to critical think and to find your own kind of method to the madness with God. You know, like I, I find my method that I get through my spiritual walk every day by, by contemplating the different aspects of Christianity and then learning how to disseminate them and to debunk them and how to talk about them, right? Dispelling doubt in my own mind encourages me to get closer and closer to God. It's like God is encouraging me to wipe away the, the clouds of unbelief that float in front of me by getting closer to Him, which makes all the sense in the world, in my opinion. So, as your homework, I would hope that you would go out and find verses that really show you and teach you. Like, let God show you how you're going to strengthen your faith, because it may be by doubt. It may be through trial and error and failure. There are tons of ways that you can, that you can connect with God, so I really hope that you go out, you search, and you find that. Alrighty. So look, thank you so much for listening. Um, if this show meant something to you, please spread the word about it. Help this show to grow. And the more it grows, and the more I can do with the show. Thank you so much for everybody out there who financially supports the show. I really appreciate it. It does keep the lights on on the show. Um, but look, y'all guys and gals, have a blessed one. And again, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate it. Bye now.